0: welcome in once again women really mean business presented by athena international and before we get to our guest some exciting news for you something you can participate in a great webinar coming up on august 11th it's brought to you by athena international and sas women in analytics spend an hour with christina cook who was a flight engineer on the longest single space flight ever completed by a woman and you get to spend an hour with her as I said she is going to receive the 2020 Global Athena Leadership Award plus there's a special opportunity for two students to receive a backstage pass to the virtual event and so much more now deadline for students to enter is midnight eastern on August 1st check out the top of WomenReallyMeanBusiness.com for all the details you need to know all right our guest this week dr nanette miner believes the lifeblood of an organization rests with their future leaders and many companies fall short in developing them how can you fix this a first step is to listen to this informative interview with dr miner episode number 92 starts now
1: welcome to women really mean business presented by athena international the podcast that tells you the story of how women are impacting business one guest at a time now here's your host jeff balitnikoff with another successful woman and her unique business journey
0: Women Really Mean Business presented by Athena International. I'm Jeff Litnikoff, and I have on the line, she is a leadership development and workplace learning strategy consultant and she is the founder and managing consultant for The Training Doctor, a South Carolina-based consulting firm that helps its clients to prepare today for the organizational leadership they will need tomorrow. It's a very timely talk. I think a lot of organizations need this type of service and, advice and and coaching and I'm going to bring Dr. if I can say it uh, correctly Dr. Nanette Miner into the conversation welcome Dr. Miner. how are you doing
1: hi Jeff thanks for having me I'm great
0: uh, thanks for ha- being on today and I just I gave a brief of the bio but I'd like to hand the mic over to my guest as soon as possible so from your words does that mean all the stuff that I just said what does that mean for an organization how does that benefit them <laughs>
1: That's a very good question. So I have been a consultant for almost 30 years. And for 25 of those years, I designed leadership training for companies, mostly in the Fortune 500 space, and thought I was doing a great job, (laughs) thought we were really making a difference. But the longer I did it, and the older I got, and the more reflective I got, I realized this is not the right way to go about leadership training. And the way that corporate America, and again, my my experience is mostly Fortune 500, so it's all corporate. The way that corporate America does it is so, I want to say minuscule, but that's not really what I'm saying. It, it doesn't involve enough people in developing leadership skills. What typically happens is, a company will either have a straight-out-of-college leadership management development program where they pick you at age 22 because they think you're going to be a future leader and they invest all their dollars in, you know, a, a small group of Thirty or three hundred or whatever, which you know, upon reflection, I'm like, why would you pick and choose who's going to be your future leader? That seems, you know, that's but uh, like having kids and going, well, I guess that's our successful one, and they're put all resources into that one, and you know, good luck to the rest. The other thing that corporate America does very erroneously is if they don't have a leadership development curriculum or program in place, like the the ones that might choose the, their 30 or their 300 right out of the gate. What typically they will do is promote somebody based on their operational skills. You're the best at what you do, so we're going to make you the manager or the leader of this department. And then they start to apply leadership development training to somebody who may have already been on the job for 10 or 15 or 20 years who who's already developed behaviors and routines which may not really be good leadership behaviors and you're also making the cognitive load on that individual so much harder because now you've promoted them to a, a senior operational role, and so they are more responsible for operational things, and then you're also asking them to change their behavior at the same time. So maybe in those 20 years, they've never learned to give feedback or to make a decision based on, you know, three different parameters as opposed to their gut decision or to work cooperatively with other departments in the organization. Because a lot of organizations, I don't think they do this purposely, but a lot of organizations operate in silos. You know, marketing doesn't like sales and sales doesn't like operations and operations doesn't like finance. And, you know, they're not taught to work cooperatively. But when you get to a leadership level, you have to work cooperatively with other departments. So I just realized, as I said, over the 25 years of thinking I was doing a great job, one day I had the where I smacked myself in the forehead and said, this is really not the way to develop future leaders. And part of the change in my tack in terms of my consulting in the last five years, to develop future leaders is one, to start leadership development in everybody at the start of their career, just start teaching them those things that I you know, just alluded to, better communication and problem solving and working with others cooperatively, but also to do things in a slow and consistent way so that people genuinely begin to change their behaviors, begin to adopt these behaviors as the correct behaviors. Because asking somebody to change their behavior after 10 or 15 or 20 years is incredibly hard. I mean, being a um, trainer for as long as I have been, the hardest thing to do is to get someone to change their behavior. And you don't do that in a training class, right? You do that through multiple exposures. You do that on the job practice and then reflection and then practice again and and so typically what we do very erroneously in Corporate America does is they send people out for, you know, training. It might be two days in how to give feedback or four days in how to, you know, work cooperatively or solve problems. But but that doesn't change somebody's behavior. That really just gives them information. So my soapbox is now we have to start training people in future leader behaviors you know, so that they will be prepared to be a leader in the future the minute they walk in the door. Just make that an everyday part of their work responsibility so that if and when they become a leader, because not everybody wants to be a leader, there are a lot of people who are perfectly happy doing their sole, uh, I want to say proprietor, and that's not the word, but being a sole contributor, That they're perfectly happy doing that. They don't want to manage others. But still, even if I'm a sole contributor, that doesn't mean I won't benefit the organization by having better communication skills or better problem-solving skills or better decision-making skills. So you want everybody to have those what we label leadership skills. I think you want everybody to have those. And then those who like leadership, those who are really good at it, will rise to the top. But meanwhile, a rising tide lifts all boats, right? Meanwhile, the whole organization has benefited from teaching leadership skills to everyone in the organization the minute they walk in the door.
0: So let's talk about how you would advise leaders listening right now. What are steps that they should be taking right now to, as you say, develop the organizational leadership that they will need tomorrow? What are some action steps for them?
1: I spent about two and a half years researching what the big leadership training firms do, like Wharton, Kellogg, Yale, Chicago Booth, Duke. Uh, what do they do? What topics do they teach? And then, and they're all pretty consistent, and then what I did was figure out exactly what you asked. How do I bring that down so that an organization could do it, hopefully low cost, definitely low effort because you know having a whole leadership or training department is a big undertaking and not everybody's going to be able to do that. You know, how can we bring these things down so that we're just slowly and consistently applying leadership thinking and leadership behavior development? So one of the first things that I recommend any organization do is start a reading and discussion group. And luckily, book clubs are big now, so people people get that. But here's here's why it's so important. First of all, most people in business, and so I'm talking, you know, corporate America. I'm not really into you know retail or service industries. These are you know companies that function in a in a business to business space. Most people who work in business, especially if they're younger, 20s, 30s, don't really know how business works. You get hired into a job when the, t- the way that training is typically done is you stay in that job forevermore in that organization. So even if we were to give you training, like so let's say you went into a finance role right out of college. All your additional training would be finance, finance, finance. You'd become a real expert in finance, but you wouldn't necessarily know how the whole organization runs. What I find is as people get to leadership positions, they are really at a disadvantage because they don't really understand how business works. So one of the easiest first things you can do is subscribe to business magazines like Fortune and Bloomberg Businessweek and Time. Just have people start being acclimated to bigger thinking, broader thinking about business in general. And then to really make that effective... You should have a, a kind of group leader or a facilitator, and that could be, you know, the owner of a company, the manager, or you could just make it another, another you know, worker, another participant in the reading group because that's going to develop leadership skills, right, to, to facilitate a group meeting. But you should have discussion groups. I honestly think once a week, but once a month even, where you ask them to specifically read an article that you've chosen and you come up with two or three, you know, high-level, open-ended questions where you start getting people to discuss the concepts in the article, because people really don't think critically anymore. And I say this from six years of teaching college, I say this from having three children who went through college. College is fill out the forms, check the boxes, jump through the hoops. It doesn't teach people to think critically, and it doesn't teach them to integrate thinking as well. So, you know, all I've got to take this history uh, requirement, I've got to take this math requirement, but they don't see how all those things interrelate. So I've got a whole nother soapbox about how education is contributing to this problem. But as a business owner or a business leader, as you ask, um, you know, what's the first thing or what's the few things they could do to get started? One would be just start this reading and discussion group where you broaden people's thinking about how businesses run. Another thing I think is a really simple thing to do is to have each department in your organization work together, the people in that department work together to come up with like a, a presentation, like five, ten minutes. Um, what do we do in this department? And where does our work come from? Where does our work go to after we've done our part with it? Um, who are our customers, internal or external? What are our priorities? What are our constraints? And then after each department does that kind of thinking and creating a little presentation, you have like an open house where every department revolves to every other department and learns more about that department. Because as a consultant, I have gone into so many companies where I say, well, I'm new here and you've got to kind of immerse me in what you do so I can help you. And I'll get a tour and I'll get the whole inner workings. And then at you know, some point later in my association with them, I'll be talking with someone and I'll say, well, you know, I was very fascinated about what I learned in that department. And they'll say to me, oh, I didn't know that. I mean, there are so many people who work in jobs who have no idea how their whole organizations run. And I think that's why we have these kind of infighting or people being uncooperative. When I said earlier, you know, like sales doesn't like marketing and marketing is not like operations. It's because they don't understand how that other department works. So if I had a better understanding about how your department worked, what your constraints were, what your priorities were, it would make more sense when when... when I felt I was getting pushback from you, right? Like I would understand like, well, I really would want this, but I understand that marketing can't do that because I understand more about your department. So that's another super easy thing you can do with absolutely no cost to just get people learning more about your business.
0: Let's talk about that pushback that you just talked about because I want to know... How you kind of overcome that, because in corporations, many corporations, people are kind of consolidating on jobs. They've done they're doing two and three jobs and Mm -hmm. maybe they don't have a lot of time to be able to kind of cross department, if you will. So Uh how are you able to coach your clients to be able to overcome it? Because it's very central to your teachings as to if you don't know the whole scope of the organization, it's really hard to be successful as an organization. So how do you kind of overcome that pushback and give them strategies so that people can feel comfortable crossing departments without kind of, well, for lack of a better term, kind of sacrificing their productivity on their current job.
1: Excellent question. And you're absolutely right in all the points that you make. One of the ways that I believe that we can overcome this obstacle if we don't have time is if you make it the general operating procedure, standard operating procedure, then that's just how we do business here. I was reading about a company the other day and I forget who they were, but they have a plan. They have a policy that they follow <laughs> that is on uh, Mondays we don't have meetings. On Tuesdays, we have departmental meetings. On Wednesdays, we have organizational meetings. On Thursdays, you concentrate on the customer. On Fridays, you work on your projects because people don't have time, right? So you're like, oh, I really need like five hours to get whatever done, but I can't because I got these two meetings on this day. So they just made a policy where this is how things work in this organization. These are the days we have meetings and these are the days we don't. So I think if you can kind of make that baseline where you say, look, every day at two o'clock, expect you're going to see an email with an article I want you to read. And we're going to have this discussion on Friday or whatever. It becomes easier because it's just the standard operating procedure. The other thing that you alluded to is, you know, how do you have time to, to move around? And yet I agree with you. It's so interesting to learn how a whole company operates is to make, I wouldn't say job rotations because that's kind of, a big deal to make a job rotation schedule, but there should be some visitations, job visitations. Let's say, like I have always found, when we've designed a training where we take somebody who's kind of in a supportive role, like let's say sales and marketing. Like if you took a marketing person and said, I want you to spend two days with this salesperson, going on sales calls, asking them questions about the process, discussing how the sales calls went, and you know what they would do next in terms of assisting the customer, you'll get so much more cooperation out of marketing. Or if you ask the customer service person to go with that salesperson. Because the interesting thing about sales is generally it's like, okay, well, I sold you and I'm done with you. And now now the whole rest of the organization services you, right? So the rest of the organization actually has more interaction with your customer than the salesperson does. But it would be so helpful if that customer service person or that marketing person understood the sales process. So I wouldn't say job rotations, but you should have these visitations where people just get a better understanding of what the organization does and and how each individual – department plays its role in the organization. And then you will have more highly functioning, you know, throughout the whole organization, it'll be more highly functioning because we have this understanding of how this company runs and we become cooperative and collaborative. The other part of the question that you asked is, you know, how do you kind of orchestrate this? So we did work with a uh, oil company, company in the oil industry, and it was dictated that every projects they undertook as an organization. There had to be a representative from every department on the planning committee. And the outcomes of the level of thinking and the level of cooperation were incredible because you're in operations, as you said you were, you rarely consider what finance wants or thinks about your... (laughs) initiative, right? You're worried about how it's going to happen operationally. But if you are forced to have somebody from finance on your committee, you are forced to have those conversations. You rarely think about what impact it will have on HR, whatever your operational thing. But if you're forced to have somebody from HR on your committee, then you will have those conversations early. So it really helps to save companies heartache, money, scrap, because all of the potential hiccups And obstacles have already been considered when you've asked everybody to be, you know, everybody from every department to be a part of the planning process. So it it really, the ROI for companies is incredible when you, and you don't have to call it leadership training, but just call it, you know, business development. When you get everybody thinking like a business person consistently and early in their careers, the ROI is huge for a company.
0: All right. Let's get into our final few questions. Of course, we're going to have a link to the training doctor, your website. And then also you have a book, your recent book is future proofing your organization by teaching thinking skills. So we'll have all those links for people, but are there any other resources that you'd like to point our audience at that you think might benefit them?
1: I love business. I've been in business since I was 11 years old when I had a paper route. <laughs> so I'm just like, a, you know, some people say I'm a science geek, I'm a business geek. So my, the resource that I would recommend people take advantage of is podcasts, just like this one, because you just learn so much in such a compressed amount of time. And so I follow a number of podcasts that have conversations with high level business executives, with big thinkers. Specifically, I would say the Inc Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel, which interviews people. Who who have just not just started their companies, but have just kind of hit meteoric success and, and they kind of, they're still kind of in awe of how they did it. And so they talk about their past. Like I just listened to a interview the other day with the fellow who started Lime, the scooter company that seems to be the bane of corporations, or, I'm sorry, bane of communities, but wow, his rationale. And there's so many levels of why that company is a great company that I never would have thought of or accepted if I hadn't listened to that article, that interview with him. So I love business podcasts. I just started listening to Barbara Kerkoran's Podcast. She's one of the sharks on Shark Tank. I love all those Shark Tanks, <laughs> all those sharks on Shark Tank. Um, I just the more you can listen to other people's perspectives and their experiences, the the more you're going to learn, right? It's just better to learn from other people's mistakes and their and their successes.
0: Well, I'm definitely going to endorse podcasts. I'm a little biased mm-hmm. in that vein, of course, but uh, yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate that. That's a good comprehensive list for people to dig into. And last question, I'm going to pass the mic back over to you and have you take out the podcast in any manner that you see fit. So Dr. Nanette Minor, the floor once again is yours.
1: Well thanks Jeff. I would say back to our theme for the podcast of, you know, how do you start leadership development in organizations from day one? I would just say to business leaders, managers, owners, start small. Some of the suggestions I gave earlier, they're they're pretty small but they are powerful. Be consistent. Be purposeful about it so that, you know, the, on day one when people come into an organization, I always I like to tell my clients, I want you to say in every interview you have with a potential employee, we will train you to be the CEO someday, which is mind blowing and they may or may not want to be the CEO someday, but but your thinking as a business owner, manager, leader should be everybody in our organization should be supported and trained to be capable of being that level of leader someday. So start small, be consistent, be purposeful about it, and include everybody in the organization. I don't want you to pick and choose who you think your future leaders are going to be because it's limiting.
0: Well, Dr. Nanette Minor of The Training Doctor. LLC. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the podcast and adding your voice to the mix. Really appreciate all your time. Thank you, Jeff. A pleasure to be with you. On the next episode of Women Really Mean Business presented by Athena International, we have a pilot as our guest. Courtney Robson takes you behind the scenes of a pilot's day-to-day duties and what career opportunities exist if you are interested in aviation. Also, if you have a fear of flying, this talk will help. And Courtney shares resources that support women in aviation. Finally, never be afraid to pursue your dreams. And here's a little bit from Courtney.
1: Turbulence and rough air is just something with the weather that us as pilots can can't control, but we'll always try and find smoother air for it to be more comfortable. But as long as you have your seatbelt fastened and you're in your seat, there's really nothing to worry about. We'll just kind of ride through it. And a lot of people, especially in the news, uh, it will sometimes drag stories out of proportion because we go through lots of training to be able to handle pretty much every emergency situation
0: let's get social we'd love to have you on our facebook group plus our linkedin group and you can also like our facebook page all you have to do is put women really mean business presented by athena international into your social media search bar and check us out and that way you'll help us positively shape this podcast with your input